Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. Day 8 of World Cup 2018 is done. Brian Strauss and I will be talking about it as part of our podcast coming to you daily from Russia through July 16th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by Emilia Lopez of Footbex Nation and the Mexican Soccer Show, who gives me her thoughts on Mexico's tremendous start to the World Cup and what comes next for El Tri. Onward! All right, let's bring in Brian Strauss. I'm in Moscow. He is in Nizhny Novgorod, where he wrote a terrific story on SI.com that you should check out tonight about Argentina's 3-0 loss to Croatia in one of the defining games of this World Cup. Brian, how are you doing? I'm white. How are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. It is 3.45 a.m. Russia time, or at least the time where we are uh, yep. here. So I hope listeners you, you bear with us. Ra- you sound razor sharp. You sound razor sharp, and I sound like I have marbles in my mouth. Uh, how is that possible? Uh, good question. You had a long work day, man. You wrote a great story uh, after a uh, memorable game. Um, you know that I am a big Argentina fan. I am. It's my adopted country. Uh, you've spent time there. And we're both just really depressed about Argentina and where it is right now. Yeah, it's not in a good place. And, and, and I don't begrudge Croatia at all. I mean, I actually, in, in, my, in my bracket, I actually had them going further than Argentina. I, I thought they'd win the group and go to the quarterfinals. But, um, I, I really enjoy their midfield. I, I think uh, Luka Modric is still somehow underrated. Um, around the world, he just he does everything. Um, he is an influencer and a, and a and a playmaker, and he's a he's a guy who can shape a game. Um, and uh, it was just totally deserved. And Argentina was just toothless and impotent, and with, without ideas, without spirit. Um, and for for the coach, for their own coach to say things like, you know, we have failed to gel. We, 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 we folded after the first goal. Um, you know, our, our team clouds Messi's brilliance. I mean, just total capitulation from, from Sampaoli down to Messi. And we, we, of course, his body language kind of went viral around the world. He was the first player off the field uh, when the whistle blew. Didn't, didn't not, at least that I saw, did not acknowledge anyone, congratulate anyone, shake hands with anyone just was gone um you know puff of smoke kaiser soze style <laughs> um you know and the, the, the stadium is the stadium's 80 percent argentine um you know you're you're hearing the songs you know they hang their banners of their clubs and their barrios and their neighborhoods and their cities and their players they love i mean the whole all the color the stadium was even blue and white i mean the stadium matched argentina and it was just all set up for them um to get everything back on track and, and they just face planted. I mean, just no other word to describe it. Um, and it was eerie to be there. You, I felt like I was at the end of something. You know, I felt like I was witnessing, um, yes, there's another game. And obviously, mathematically, they stole the shot. But, you know, come on. I mean, I, I, I felt like I was there to see sort of the, 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 the final bow of maybe Messi's World Cup career. And it was, it was, it was eerie. It was weird. 
Yeah, I mean, like the ability to recognize something historic that's happening in front of your eyes, I think there's value in that. And I do wonder, I mean, it, this really might be sort of the the final chapter of an era. And, you know, maybe Argentina will turn it around, but I just don't feel it. This is a bad team. That's the thing. We're saying this and maybe... Maybe they win four nothing next week. <laughs> you know, and it's like second it out. Maybe, but maybe not. And uh, I, I do want to talk about Croatia because I feel like um, this. They not only deserved it; they just everything came together here. I mean, you know, they were very good in the first game against Nigeria. Two nothing win. It took care of business. But in this game tonight, the midfield superiority was so evident. Um, Modric, Rakitic, Perisic. um, You know, you expected their midfield to be better, and they were. And Argentina's midfield is so freaking bad. It is mystifying that this is the best that their nation can put out there. And, you know, I also, you know, this... You know, the the route started with a goalkeeper error, and we can't not talk about what led to this goalkeeper situation, which I don't feel like it was handled very well. Um oh oh in terms of in terms of why Caballero was starting and, and the way Senpai only handled that situation, you mean? Yeah, I mean, okay, so quick yeah. long story short. Sergio Romero is the starting goalkeeper for Argentina. He has an injury. He's named to the squad. He has an injury. And Sampaoli decides to drop him entirely from the World Cup squad. And Romero himself and his wife publicly, which is sort of a side plot, um, are saying that he could have been ready for the first game, that his procedure that he had wasn't that serious. But they decided to drop him. And then they decided to go with Caballero as the starter instead of the other options. Um, Franco Armani is a guy who was at Atletico Nacional for many years in Colombia. Very good goalkeeper. Um, now with River Plate. But he's been a starter for his club in a way that Caballero has not been at Chelsea. And, I mean, a lot of Argentines that I've spoken to can't believe that Armani didn't start. Yeah. One of the first questions tonight to um, the coach was, uh, you know, something like, you know, 40 million Argentines. And I don't know why he picked that number. Cause I thought there were more people than that are a lot more people than that are Argentines. <laughs> but um, he said, I, anyway, he said something like 40 million Argentines need an explanation why, you know, you didn't, wait for Romero and, and why you, you know, that was like one of the early questions. And, and he said, you know, I, he took responsibility multiple times. He said, this is my fault. I didn't prepare the team. I thought I got things right. And I didn't, I make the choices. It's down to me. You know, he threw him, he, he threw himself under the bus multiple times. Um, but like I said in the piece, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was just an absurdly idiotic flailing play. Um, but a team of quality should be able to survive. I mean, this team crumbles under the smallest bit of adversity. They fold like origami, you know, uh, they, 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 they were not, they were in no position um, to sort of handle that curveball and, and, and put themselves back into it. Um, 
you know, I really, I really wonder what's become of Javier Mascherano. He, he just doesn't. He's done. He doesn't have an, He's done. an impact on a game. It, you know, there's nothing there. Um, uh, he tried Perez uh, next to him tonight. Um, you know, he wasn't. You know, the most dynamic thing he did was miss a sitter. Um, <laughs> trying to think. Uh, you know, he played with three in the back. And a lot of the damage that Croatia did uh, for the first chunk of the game was sort of longer diagonal balls into the space um, where the outside back should be. And that really stretched Argentina out. I understand, you know, when he said it's a World Cup, you got to take risks. And he took the risk. And that's not why they lost. I mean, they, they, they lost because once again, players walking, um, almost no off the ball movement, uh, you know, Messi showing for the ball and sort of the obligation to play it to him and then two or three Croatian players. We've all seen this. We've all seen this this play out a million times against a million different teams. Um, I, I think in the first half, uh, Aguero and Messi combined had fewer than 30 touches. Yeah. Combined. It's, it, it, it's incomprehensible. Um, you know, I said in the story, it's like, well, you know, it's like when you watch a when you watch a, a February NBA game on a Tuesday, you know, and they're, they're, the guys just, they're just, they're walking. That's what it's like watching Argentina. It's ponderous and predictable um, and sad. Yeah. Or like you said, depressing. Um, so yeah, the Croatia's through and, 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 and if the, the, the tournament sort of plays out like it looks like it is, they'll, they'll likely face Denmark on the round of 16. And that's a, that's a winnable game. So all of a sudden you're talking about a potential quarterfinalist. Um, and uh, they, you know, it wouldn't be undeserved if they got that far. They, they've looked really good. It's pretty amazing when you think about it that just nine months ago, Croatia was in complete turmoil. They were on the verge of missing out on the World Cup entirely. They fired their coach right toward the end of qualifying, and they bring in Zlatko Dalic for the last couple of games, and they have to win at Ukraine, a decent team, just to survive, and they do it. They make the World Cup eventually after the playoff. Finishing behind Iceland, by the way, in their group. And now they're basically what you thought they might be able to be with the personnel that they have. When you look at their starting lineup, that's a good freaking team. I like this guy. I like the coach. He, he, uh, he uh, you know, a lot of these guys talk in like really, really, really mundane platitudes we're just here to try our best one game at a time, you know, all that kind of, and, and, and sometimes they have no choice because that's the, the questions they're asked are so insipid and awful, but, um, oh, but he was good. I mean, you know, the, the quote I tweeted out, Argentina wasn't confused. We were excellent, you know, <laughs> a little, a little ping, a little edge, but he said, he said, uh, what do you, uh, whoever watched this match, whoever watched Croatia play must start rooting for Croatia. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. No, this guy's a this guy's a total straight shooter, and I, I love what he's done. I love the fact that it seems like he's sort of let the players be themselves. Uh, they're veteran players. They're accomplished club players. They have a relationship that's lasted many years, and this is one of their last chances to do something as you know their generation, and they're doing it. And so that is a really cool thing to see. I guess one question I have about, I guess now switching to Argentina is, and this has come up in the context of U.S. soccer a little bit uh, with the failure to get here, is, a, is federation chaos or federation dysfunction 
something that really does show itself on the field at some point. Because you could make that argument about bad decisions by U.S. soccer leading to what happened with the U.S. failing to qualify for this tournament. But you could also argue that Argentina's total dysfunction is partly the result of their federation being a complete disaster. You know more about this than me. Um, Sampaoli made several references to, you know, lot, he, what he said something about lots of people have coached Argentina or something like that. And obviously Messi and Aguero and I think some other guys have hinted at it over the years. Um, but you know, that's, I haven't, I, to be honest, I'll, I got to plead ignorant. I don't know a hundred percent what the, the nonsense of the politics are. I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly, uh, you know, our opinion on, or I, I don't want to speak for you, my opinion on, um, the U S soccer's delay in firing Jurgen Klinsmann, um, is a massive, massive factor in, in, uh, the U S failing to qualify. So yeah, federations and politics and decision makers and executives and suits and egos and contracts and promises and all that, all that stuff matters. I had like, I had some, uh, I think this is my fifth game of the world cup. And I had some, like, I had some run-ins with, uh, uh, what do you call it? Proce- like I had some procedural issues tonight. Oh yeah. 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 I had a few. Um, I guess I guess the, the the interesting one was that so you know we're we're in the media seats and I like to always t- I, I take a lot of pictures when I travel you know I, so I I I tweeted a bunch of them out um, you know I don't buy souvenirs really you know I, I like to take photos and so I always like to take photos of the stadiums and and I'll take a photo a few couple photos of the vantage point from my seat you know just to have the souvenirs and uh, this woman comes up to me. So I take a couple pictures of my camera toward the start of the game, and this woman comes up to me. She says, you, you know, you're not allowed to take pictures. Ah. It's not, you're not allowed. What are you talking about? And she was wearing, like, a volunteer uniform. So what, what are you talking about? She's like, no, it's forbidden. It's forbidden. I'm like, no, it's not. I can take a picture. No, 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 no. And I was like, well, no, yes. I, I can take a picture with my phone. And so she kept, you know, she just, it, I mean, English not her first language. So we go back and forth and I say, show me, show me the rule, show me the rule where I can't take a picture. You know, it's like, I can't take a video. You know, I'm not a rights holder. Right. So she actually wound up going to get, she wound up going to get like the, like the media tribute supervised, like this became a thing, you know? And the guy came over and, uh, we kind of had the same back and forth. And I want to say he was super, super nice and respectful. Like the whole conversation was very respectful. But it was just a lot of like, no, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. So finally, he gets on the phone to like, I don't know, Putin and <laughs> going back and forth. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, like seven or eight minutes of the game has gone by. Like, like, like I'm te- I text an obvious and I'm like, yeah, like minute, like 15 through 24. I missed all of it. I'm sorry. Uh, like, I didn't intend for this to become a thing, right? But all of a sudden, it was a thing. And uh, <laughs> so we looked on the media channel and I showed that we, I, we never read the fine print, right? But it has all the rules and regulations for the media, what you can and cannot do, what you can video and film and transmit and all that kind of stuff. And I found a paragraph. I found the paragraph. And I said, it said, you know, you're allowed to take pictures on personal equipment for personal use. Yeah. And I showed him the thing and, and, uh, 
And he said, you're right. We were given bad information. I, re- I apologize. And he shook my hand and he left. A victory for so. international diplomacy. Yeah, it went well. I also, I also had to go to a few, you know, because I buy the scarves and I had to, I was trying to convince people to sell me a scarf before they officially opened. So that was kind of hairy. Um, and I got annoyed in the media center tonight because for whatever reason, while we were trying to write our stories, they were showing the Australia-Denmark game. <laughs> And they were blasting the volume. So you've got like a thousand writers in there trying to write their stories. And it's like you're splitting commentary on a game that had happened like 10 hours earlier. Nice. So I don't know. I took it upon myself to get them to like turn that shit off. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it was an adventurous, uh, adventurous evening in diplomacy and, and protocol and um, all that kind of stuff for me. Well, the other thing I would point out is FIFA is really missing the boat here. They don't get it on social video that in a way that the NBA does. We're like one of the reasons the NBA is so popular, one of the many reasons, is they're very willing to let video of in-game stuff be put out there on social media and they don't try and take it down. FIFA's the opposite basically. They don't want any of the video to be out there except from rights holders. And they crack down on stuff like you're talking about. And they don't understand that, like, that's the currency of of social media these days is that, like, people want to talk about this stuff. This is good for you. People enjoyed my photo of the kid with the mullet. (laughs) That, That went well. Yeah. We got yelled at. Remember, we got yelled at. It was at, at was it the Copa America. We got yelled at for doing a Facebook Live in, like, just in the media area of the stadium. Like, you couldn't even see the field. Remember that? We might as well have been in an office in like Menlo Park, California, that day. I mean, like it. Yeah, it was. We, we could have been anywhere. Yeah, we. It was, was ridiculous. A, we were sitting in front of a tan wall, and and we got. Uh, yeah, we got shut down. So anyway, but they were wrong. I'm allowed to take pictures, and, and I can I can take pictures of whatever I want and do whatever I want with them. Um, and uh, it was just really weird. And I remember I said to the woman, she said, you can't do this. So I said, this is my third World Cup. The only pictures I take, like, I can. I'm allowed to. And it just kind of went back and forth, and it was silly. Um, and uh, and then I went back and, and did my work. So, yeah. um, and... Uh, who else played today? Um, France won today, right? So France won today. Uh, they beat Peru. Peru's out. That's right. Peru. France beat Peru. Uh, won nothing. Uh, France was very good in the first half and showed flashes of what they can be if they actually can be consistent. And they're, they're really fun when they're at their best. Um, second half, not as good. Um, and Peru's out. Somewhat like Morocco in the sense that they played some decent soccer at times, but they just couldn't score, no goals. And it felt to me like uh, the missed penalty by Cueva for Peru in the first game in the first half against Denmark was a real turning point for that team. If, if he had converted that penalty, this would be a very, very different tournament for Peru. And I'm bummed out because Peru is such a great emotional story. And... um. You know, they're sitting here on zero points and they're out after two games. So, so much of the scene is in Moscow were, uh, were Latin American fans, you know, 
I mean, right. I didn't see a lot of, I didn't see a lot of French and Serbs and I don't know, whatever. Um, you know, Peruvians, Mexicans, Argentines, Colombians. So, um, all those people, I guess, are going to be cleared out <laughs> pretty soon. Moscow is going to go back to being a uh, state and quiet, I guess, unless all the, uh, unless all the, the the Germans and the French just decided to book their tickets here for the semifinals and the finals, they assume that's where they'd be. Russia is advancing, so there's going to be enthusiasm from the home fans about Russia. Definitely. Uh, yep. And that's good. But like one of the weirdest phenomenons of this World Cup is that other European countries, with the exception of Iceland, are being outnumbered by latin countries who have more fans here whether it's mexico or peru or argentina or brazil or whomever and that's crazy to me i still don't have a full understanding about why that's the case Uh, yeah yeah, i've noticed it too it's weird and and like i said i maybe maybe if you're french or spanish you you're you're coming in july I, i i don't know you know maybe you're just that confident but uh yeah very very few um i i've also on a much smaller level i've seen um fans from um the arab countries in the middle east i mean i've seen groups of saudis iranians uh moroccans egyptians um you know here or there not not in the same numbers as the the latin american fans but definitely still i mean i've, I've seen more Iran- i saw more iranians in moscow than i saw french or, or spanish huh so, interesting it's weird so you are in all right i'm passing out yeah, I mean, like, I called you, you were asleep, it's now 4.05 a.m., so we're going to sign off here in one second, but, like, thank you for connecting tonight uh, after you were asleep. Uh, you're going to stick around in Nizhny Novgorod for England-Panama, um, and then you'll, yes. co- you'll come back to Moscow. Woohoo! Thanks, man. Let's do it again tomorrow. All right, good night, dude. Bye. <laughs> Audiobooks are a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, sunbathing on the beach, running, road tripping, enjoying downtime outdoors, and more. Listening is a better way to binge content you love while doing things you love. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, which lets you fill your summer with more stories like, say, Masters of Modern Soccer, How the World's Best Play the 21st Century Game. That's my new book. It is out. It is about the craft of soccer position by position. It's available on Audible. Audible helps you listen to more books by letting you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books, hands and eyes free, while doing almost anything. Audible members get a credit every month, good for any audiobook in our store, regardless of price, and unused credits roll over to the next month. Didn't like your audiobook? You can exchange it, no questions asked. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re-listen anytime, even if you cancel your membership. Start a 30-day trial, and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash football, F-U-T-B-O-L, or text football to 500-500. Once again, you can start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook is free. Go to audible.com slash football, F-U-T-B-O-L, or text football to 500-500. You can do it with audiobooks.
Big thanks to Brian Strauss. Next up is my interview with Amelia Lopez. Welcome back. We've got another great interview guest today. Her name is Amelia Lopez, and she is here in Russia covering Mexico at the World Cup for Footmax Nation. Amelia, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Grant. I'm happy to be here. I'm very excited to have you because I followed you on social media for quite a while. Uh, you do a great job covering Mexico, which got off to a wonderful start beating Germany here in the World Cup. Uh, one of the cool things about the World Cup is meeting people that you uh, have gotten to sort of know on on social media. Um, explain a little bit about what your thoughts are right now about this amazing start that Mexico has had. Um I mean, I keep saying it like I don't want to use this word, but I can't think of any other. It was just perfect. It was the per it was a perfect way to start it, you know, especially with the little percentage of a chance that Mexico had at winning, not just from critics, but just statistically. They'd never beat Germany before. And yet everything that could go right did go right during that game. They were they were challenging just enough, but not too much where they were getting fouls, their counterattacks. I mean, they I think their first chance at at a goal was like one minute in like that. It was just it was just crazy. Like you couldn't you couldn't write a more uh, a better start to their their game against Germany. It was just crazy. I mean, for Mexico to take down the world champions uh, surprised a lot of folks. You know, Confederations Cup last year, Germany beat Mexico four to one. That wasn't even necessarily Germany's best team on the field that day. Yeah. Um, but this is sports and. Uh, it struck me that Juan Carlos Osorio, his game plan was spot on. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I will say to his to his credit, I've never, I've had my reservations about him as a coach. You know, the rotations, you know, everything that everybody else has had, more or less. But what got me, or like, what gave me, not necessarily like false hope, but maybe more confidence, was their media day that they had back in L.A. before their game against um, against Wales. Was this constant sense of unity amongst all the players you know they were chicharito most importantly i mean you've seen him like he you know he was crying on the field but even his character that day he was like you know it's not about me it's not about if i score or not it's about the team collectively and what we're gonna do you saw that same kind of message heard from ochoa too before the game you know it doesn't matter if i if i you know block x amount of shots he's like it's about the team and they are all behind him. They've all been behind him. And, you know, yeah, they were he, he at his press conference. He's like, no, we're not going to go out defensively. We're going to try to attack. We're trying to we're going to try to, you know, be as aggressive as possible to, to do what we can. And he succeeded. So many aspects of this seem like a terrific team performance by Mexico. There's little things. Well, kind of big things, actually, like Vela man marking Tony Kroos and Kroos really didn't have much of an influence on the game other than the free kick that Ochoa, Ochoa tipped off the, the bar. Um, but also just the counter and, and the way Mexico decided how they approached it went down the left a lot. Uh, Chucky Lozano uh, had that chance in the first minute. It seemed like it set a tone for the game in many ways. And even though Mexico was pretty wasteful on a lot of their opportunities, and I thought it was going to come back to haunt them against Germany, it didn't. Um, Chucky Lozano really seems like a guy who could be sort of the breakout star of this tournament. The potential is there at least. And he strikes me as somebody who might not just get a move out of PSV as a result of this, but the destination, there's 
a lot of very you know variation in terms of possibilities. I mean, it could be like a, a mid-level Premier League team, but if he keeps doing this, maybe it's like Real Madrid or something. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but what do you think? Well, I mean, there are definitely those rumors that started that said that he might be going to Barcelona. Um, I think we've seen what happens when you when you jump the gun just a little bit too much. You saw it with Chicharito when he went over to Real Madrid and unfortunately didn't get the minutes that he he was I mean he wasn't going to get the minutes so you know I think slow and steady with Chucky I think he does have so much potential but you know slow let it let it go you you did so great at PSV you know I personally would say mid-level Premier League I know there's I have other people that think that you know maybe he should start a little bit smaller go go to another country but I I don't think he should jump the gun even if the rumors are you know just rumors I would say slow and steady you know, um, I personally would prefer him to go to Arsenal or something, <laughs> but, you know, slow and steady Go, you know, go somewhere where you can still, you, you'll still get minutes that you deserve so that you can, you can still, um, you know, really harness the talent that you have. I mean, his start here is, is a great start. You know, he got a goal, his confidence is going to be up for the next game. Um, and if he's going to start, against South Korea, you know, really capitalize on those opportunities even more. Try to get two goals, try to get three. I think against South Korea, that's definitely possible. Um, but he just needs to con- con- be consistent. And I don't think a big club is quite there yet. I think he'll he'll make his way, hopefully, but not yet. The implication here is that Arsenal is now a mid-level <laughs> Premier League team, by the way, uh, which I find amusing, but probably true <laughs> um but the in- first step to recovery is admitting the truth Grant. that's that's just the reality <laughs> but i do think that lozano really is at this point the most dangerous threat certainly not the only attacking threat uh, on this mexico team and i think that's why they're uh in a position to really do something here but uh it seems like over the last year he really has uh, improved even more at PSV and since making that move. Uh, when I look at Mexico's situation now, having beaten Germany, now that we've seen the other teams in the group, uh, Sweden and South Korea, Sweden got the three points, but neither team looked that great in that game. It really seems like this is Mexico's group to win, and that could be a really important thing for the knockout rounds. I mean, would it be a, a huge missed opportunity at this point for Mexico not to win the group? Um, definitely, but it's also something that we've seen before, you know, back in, back in 2014, we could have been at the top of our group, but we made, you know, we made some mistakes here and there. And of course, just as much as Mexico has the caliber to play, you know, alongside Germany and beat them, unfortunately, we also, they also have the same potential to tie against Sweden or not capitalize on those opportunities against South Korea. So, I mean, it's a positive that the way that the team and the players are talking is we're going to take every game as seriously as the one against Germany because they have to. They have to. And, you know, there's going to... And then, of course, there's a reality. Juan Carlos Osorio loves making rotations. So the team that we saw against Germany might not be the same team we see against South Korea. There's going to be a base. I mean, you've you've heard that. There's going to be a base of players that are going to be facing the, uh, the same teams or are going to be playing. But... You know, there might be those those subs that maybe don't get with the flow of the rest of the team. You didn't see that against Germany. I mean, I you know, I was surprised when Edson Alvarez came in. I was surprised when Rafa Marquez came in. But everybody performed as best as they could during that game. So hopefully we see that for the next two games against South Korea and Sweden. But there's also that 
there's also that worry that that might not happen. I am fascinated by Osorio and how he's viewed by the Mexican media and by the Mexican fan base. You know, this is a situation where in their last game before they left for Europe in the Azteca, there were large numbers of fans there chanting Fuera Osorio, Osorio out, uh, whistling, booing the team in a game that they won, by the way. Uh, how do you explain this? Um, I think there's just, unfortunately, that high expectation. I, myself, after that game where he was, bo- where the, he was booed off, I wasn't really sure what that expectation is. You know, I, I'm not quite sure how to, what to make of it. I, I can definitely see, you know, um, the Gold Cup where when uh, Piojo Herrera was still the coach and there was people that were really, really upset with the team. I couldn't understand that. They ended up winning that Gold Cup, but it was still people were unsatisfied. I could understand that. But when you have a when you have a coach, and again, like I've said, I've questioned his judgment. I've questioned the the things that he he's done. But when you have a team that wins at the Azteca and you're still booing him, even I can't wrap my head around that. You know, like I I think the game against Scotland was more of a you know okay you should be a little bit upset, but um. I'm sorry, the game against Scotland was in the Azteca, but I uh, the game against Denmark was a little bit more worrisome. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I some people just aren't satisfied all the way. That's the only thing that can I can really bring it down to. And what's your sense of the, the Mexican media response since Osorio's team beat Germany? I feel like and this is and this is myself included. We talked about it on the show on the Mexican soccer show um on Monday as well. There's there's a surprise. There's a there's also this realization that you know we we probably should give him credit for what he's done. But there's also well, can he keep it up? You yeah. know, there's always that there's always that that hesitance. You know, I um, Guardado on his players' Tribune was like his dad always like no, you know, you're, you're not gonna do that or that's not Paul. I think that's just like a natural instinct, just in general from the culture. You know, there's like okay, we're gonna give you credit, but we need to still be proven that. This is not just a fluke. That Interesting. Doesn't... Interesting. Uh, before we go any further, I want to let listeners know where they can find you on social media. So let them know. Yeah. So uh, my handle is the same on all my platforms. So it's Azteca Amelia. Um, once you start putting Azteca, Amelia comes out right afterward. But the Amelia has three A's at the end. So it's Azteca. That's one word. And then Amelia with um, two extra A's at the end. Cool. I'm sorry if that's kind of confusing. <laughs> it's actually not that hard to find, to find her. I find her pretty easily. Um, but I also, whenever I interview uh, another journalist who's on for the first time, uh, want to get a sense of kind of your story about how you got into doing what you do. Uh, can you explain to readers sort of like where you're from, uh, how you got into soccer journalism? Yeah, of course. Um, so born and raised in LA, uh, had a little, I had, I lived in Detroit for like two years or three years, but mostly born and raised in LA. Um, both parents are from Mexico. Um, my dad always a Mexico fan. So grew up being a Mexico fan, watched Guatemala Blanco when I was little, watched Luis Hernandez, you know, so it was never a question to me. I just love the team. I love the game. There was nothing else that I wanted to, to, to do but watch soccer played soccer when I was growing up and when it came time to uh apply for college and you have to choose a major 
you know, there's those, you should be a lawyer, you should be a doctor. And I was like, I don't want to do those things. You know, I, I, I'm sure I could do it. You know, I graduated valedictorian of high school, so I knew my potential, at, you know, intellectually, but I was like, I just don't want to do those things. So I, I, I literally was, when you're choosing the major, I was like, well, I really like soccer and I really like writing. Maybe I'll write about soccer. So um, applied to a few schools, uh, some as an English major, some as a journalism major. And I eventually was accepted into USC's Annenberg School of Communications and Journalism. And um, when I got there, I didn't know much. It was a culture shock to me. You know, mm. you, you grow up in this little small town in Hawthorne and then you go to this big school and granted it's in downtown LA, but you know, you, you start seeing all these people and who have been in journalism schools. We didn't have a journalism program at my high school, but you see all these people and they've already known how to do news packages and VOs and SOTs. And I was just learning all that as I got to college. But the different professors that I had that were integrating, you know, technology and all of that, you know, I, Jose Antonio Vargas, I'll forever thank him for making me make a Twitter account while he, when he came to present at our school. Tell the story because he told me before <laughs> we got on and it's awesome. By the way, Jose Antonio Vargas is a friend of mine. So it's a very small world. Uh, he's under the hashtag Define American if you want to check that out. Yeah, founder of Define American. Um, so he was actually a student of, of my professor at USC when he was when he was up north, when she worked up north, Ernest Smith. And so I was a freshman in college and I was taking my notes and he came to talk to us about a piece that he had written where he, you know, opened up about being undocumented and everything. And one of the things I was typing and he's talking and he's like, I don't understand why any journalism student doesn't have a Twitter account. Well, I kind of sat there because I didn't have a Twitter account. <laughs> so as he's talking to us, I, in that very moment, I signed up for Twitter and I made my handle and I was just, I, first I used it personally, but then I got to my junior year of, of call of college and, you know, I had a professor named Robert Hernandez who told us, you know what, whatever you want to do, there's going to be a market for it. There's going to be someone out there who's also doing what you're doing. You live in such a you know, such a perfect time where you have the luxury to try to get whatever brand it is that you want to do. So, um, you know, he said that and that resonated with me. And um, I literally searched on Twitter, Mexico World Cup. Just randomly. Just randomly. Like, I was like, I want to cover Mexico during a World Cup. So I I, I uh, Twitter searched Mexico World Cup. Well, for anybody who doesn't know, that's Tom Marshall's <laughs> Twitter handle. Tom Marshall is sort of a legendary <laughs> figure, writes for ESPN, a uh, British guy who lives in Guadalajara, right? Yes. Um, and does just absolutely terrific work covering Mexican soccer. Yeah, um, I think it was Sebastian Salazar that called him uh, the godfather of El Trieng, <laughs> and that is... Um, that is not far off. So I started following him. I started following uh, other people through his network that were doing Mexican soccer in English. And at that point, um, I thought it was nearly impossible, you know, because when I grew up, it was Univision. It was Andres Cantor. It was everybody who was doing these exciting things, but it was in Spanish. And being a Mexican-American growing up in L.A., I understood Spanish and I could speak to Spanish with all the other Mexicans around my city and with my parents and stuff. But the reality was, if I had to get it in front of a camera and report on Mexico in Spanish, I just couldn't do it. I, I couldn't. You know, it's not it's it's no disrespect or anything to to those who can speak Spanish and can do it really well. But I couldn't. And so I had to face that reality. And I was like, how am I supposed to do this? 
well, I want to do it in English. And I thought it was impossible. And then I found this market and all these people that were doing it, you know, Tom Marshall, Cesar Hernandez, Weasel Vasquez, all these people were doing it in English. And it was, it was like, it was like a part of me opened up that never was able to be exposed. And it was just, it was so therapeutic. It was, it was amazing. And I've been able to meet all these other amazing people that also are able to do Mexican soccer in Spanish, Liga Me- uh, in English, sorry, Liga Mex in English. And it's, it's opened up such a world. And especially right now in this World Cup, it's, it's just been, it's just, it's just been a blessing to be able to see all these people. It's a very cool story. Thanks for sharing it. Uh, you are here in Russia. And this is literally your first trip outside of the United States or Mexico, correct? Correct. Yes. So what's it been like? Um, So cool. Just so amazing. And um, I was actually talking to uh, my friend Wiso when we were walking and I was like, do I want to see all these Mexico fans or are there really this many Mexico fans here? And he's like, no, there's there's that many. There's so many Mexico fans here, like all around. Like you can't escape them and not just Mexico fans. But, you know, South American fans, you know, on our flight from Oslo to here in Moscow, Peru, Peru, Peru fans were just like cheering, scrant, you know, chanting, just ready to see it. And it's it's just been it's just been amazing. The, the party never stops. But not, ju- you know, not just in that sense, but just like people cheering, people celebrating Russian locals, you know, welcoming all these people that are from here, from different countries. So it's it's I mean, it's going to be super cheesy to say, but it's really the world's game. Like people love it. I've always thought of the one cool thing. Every listener, if you can get to a World Cup at some point, I know it costs a lot of money and I totally get it. We are going to be hosting a World Cup in 2026. So maybe that won't cost quite as much unless you're buying tickets. <laughs> um, but you feel like you're at the center of the universe almost. It's just so many different countries, people are, are in the same spot. And we're recording this at my hotel, which is you know not far from Red Square. And every night here, I have earplugs to sleep because in, every night here until 5 a.m., there's so much noise outside <laughs> my hotel of fans. And they're not being annoying, actually. They're, being, they're doing what fans do, and they're not threatening or anything, but just fans from different countries. And the numbers of Mexico fans here, I'm not exaggerating. It's crazy. Like when you were in the stadium the other day for the Mexico-Germany game, there were more, far more Mexican fans in that stadium than Germany fans, right? Oh yeah, hands down. There was um, for those who have ever been in the stadium, I'm sure plenty of you have. You know, it was from where I was sta- from where I was sitting, the right, the right hand side behind the goal. That was that was basically all of Germany, and then the rest of it, the whole, you know, you know, three fourths of the circle was was Mexico fans. You know, there was there was a couple of Germany fans here and there in our section, but you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was completely, it was, um, yeah, I saw a few tweets after the game. It was, it was like, I think Tom Marshall was the one that said it, it was like better than the Azteca in terms of atmosphere, in terms of the Mexico fans, in terms of the chants and the cheering. It was, it was crazy. It is really something. And when you look at the announcements that more World Cup tickets had been bought from people in the United States than any other country except for the host country, large numbers of that total have to be Mexico fans no yeah for sure for sure and it's funny that you say that because um you know we're we're out at talking to fans and getting to know them and stuff 
And me, myself, too, you know, you're talking to these Mexico fans and you ask them, oh, where are you from? You know, where, what are you doing? And I always instinctively have to say where my parents are from because you're talking to a Mexico fan. You, you have to say <laughs> what part of Mexico you're from. And, and they'll do the same thing, too. And then I'll say, oh, well, you know, I'm from Los Angeles. And they're like, oh, I'm also from Los Angeles. What part, Whittier? What part are you from? I'm from Hawthorne. It's in the South Bay. And so it's like, it's funny that we do that first. But yeah, there's so many that are actually based from the United States or, or here from the United States. Yeah, so. That's really cool. I mean, so also once this World Cup is over, you cover soccer regularly. What do you usually cover? Uh, I usually cover I usually cover the Mexican national team as much as possible, but I also um, cover Mexican players um, at different parts. So I cover the LA Galaxy with the Dos Santos brothers. I cover LAFC with um, Vela. So I do, I do that stuff as well. And I also, every once in a while, I'll have the chance to, like I did recently, just talk about what it's like to be, you know, covering Mexico in English. So I'll do a little bit of that stuff too. Nice. Um, we talked earlier about how covering Mexican soccer in English has only sort of in recent years gotten to be more of a thing, uh, which makes total sense. Um, but I'm also curious about your experience. How many women how many latinas do you run into who are writing about soccer not necessarily doing television oh that's a that's a good question you kind of caught me off guard Sorry about there. That. <laughs> no problem well i will say the very first one that i ever saw and it was such a um she's she's super cool is um andrea canales yeah she's a yeah she she was one of the she was one of the first the pioneers for me where i was like oh my god there's another woman who's also covering Mexico in English. Um, Olivia, Olivia, I don't remember what her last name is. I'm so sorry, Olivia. She works for Copa 90. She also does some things um, for Mexico in English and stuff. She'll talk about her experience also um, as Mexican-American. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's not many. There's not many, but it's growing. Yeah. You know, there's not many that it's growing. And it's, it's also been, um, at least right now, you know, especially that I'm at the World Cup, I don't mean to humble brag, but there's been so many women or young ladies who are telling me or messaging me, you know, mm -hmm. I want to do that too. I want to cover Mexico in English. And it's, it's so great. You know, it's very flattering, but also so humbling and also really inspiring because there is, there's not a lot, but we're getting there. And that's the important thing that it's growing. Well, uh, I can say this. I think you're a rising star and, uh, there's a, a reason I wanted to interview you for the podcast. I'm glad you had some time to speak and uh, look forward to speaking more in the future about all the stuff you're covering. Oh, thank you so much, Grant. I really appreciate that. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss and Amelia Lopez, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do, and we'll see you tomorrow. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. 
Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.